Joe, what's worse than than getting home from a party the night before in which you passed out and you realize that somebody drew a dick on your face? I guess finding that your family's all dead. (laughs) I was going to go with finding it was traced, but we'll go with finding your family is dead. Because I think that that might be a little worse. Okay. Unless you really hate your family. No, I I like my family. Wrong with you. I did not see that one coming. Um, anyways, this is Jacques. Joe. And welcome to Carnival Personnel. Um, Joe, uh, we'll get right, right on into it. So uh, I think I've watched more television in the last week than I probably have the last year. Um, it's the last couple weeks of summer vacation for the little guys, and you know we did the extensive road trip, and basically uh, this week we just decided to not do anything except stay home and get caught up on life and work and and, and all that thing. So I did. I watched a bunch of stuff, and oh, actually, should we? Peter Fonda. I can finally do a, a pretty decent Peter Fonda impersonation. You you know he's oh I thought you were doing it. <laughs> um, I you know um, I don't know too much of his stuff other than Easy Rider, and it's not like that was either one of our favorite movies ever. I mean, some of my favorite parodies are of Easy Rider, but you know, yeah, I never followed Peter Fonda, so you know, rest in peace. Um, so getting into some of the stuff I've watched in the last week, actually watched Airplane the other day. Does that surprise you? No. Would it surprise you to know that it, it, it was one night getting ready for bed, the boys are, you know, kind of winding down, management is there, it's pretty late, and I'm just going to watch, like, the first five or ten minutes of it. Like, I'm scrolling through Amazon, and I see it. She actually sat down, and we watched almost the whole thing together before, you know, we were just too tired. And it was really great because she hadn't seen it in years and and every time i make an airplane joke or we make an airplane reference or airplane type reference like she laughs along with it and she'll make you know when somebody will say you know my mother went to the hospital what is it (laughs) well it's a big building with doctors in it but that's not important right now um she and what was great is how many times she kind of gasped laughed like because she didn't remember all the jokes you know and she didn't know um and then and it was interesting because she started to ask a bunch of questions um about you know the making of it she goes oh you guys did it you know it was based on a different movie and i'm like hey bitch you can go listen to the podcast that we did a whole breakdown of it uh it's what I could have said. <laughs> what I no, but it was really fun. I mean, it was really. I mean, it was very surprising because usually she doesn't want to sit down and watch one of those types of movies, you know, with me, which I don't recommend anybody doing unless you really enjoy somebody saying a line like a fraction of a second before the characters do. And uh, okay, <laughs> so so <laughs> well, that's nice. You got to watch a movie with your wife. I did, and well, that you'd already seen that I love, right? You know, it wasn't one of these. Well, you, of course, things. you love your wife. Yeah, <laughs> yeah. Oh, you meant the movie. I meant the movie. Uh, whoops. Um, we're 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 still all Spidey all the time with the little guy. We've uh, just segued from the Tobey Maguire Spider Man to the Andrew Garfield Amazing Spider Man. Why? 
Because it's all part of Spidey. Why do you climb mountains? Live action. Right. Have you... Are you? Are, do you not like the Andrew Garfield ones, or do you not? I had not seen them, but I'm not drawn to a, to them. I, I I saw that they are poorly reviewed, and that is enough for me. Um, again, you know they made like number the first one, and I only know this because I thought I thought that they had were going to do a trilogy with him, and they only had done two. And I thought, okay, well, the second one, it was 2012, the first one, and then 2014. And I remember a lot of people had still really loved Tobey Maguire, but it was just a couple years between the Tobey Maguire trilogy and the reboot with Andrew McCarthy, um, Andrew Garfield, sorry. And I didn't think, I, well, the, I thought that. 2012, 2014, that if there was a third, it'd be 2016. And that's right around the time that Spider-Man was incorporated into the MCU. He was part of Civil War. And that's why they didn't do a third one. But I was reading about it. They made a lot of money. I mean, they made 700 and $750 million. Um, I guess this was one of those projects that got killed in part because do you remember the Sony email leak? Yes. Yeah, there was a lot of negative things with um, with him internally and Sony executives. With Andrew Garfield. With Andrew Garfield. I guess he didn't show up to a couple of the big premieres around the world. So the first one did like 750 and the second one did 7 You know, which is a drop-off, but it's not like, let's cancel the franchise. It's still quadrupled the money they invested in it. But it was one of those things where it, it soured the relationship so much when it became public hmm. that, that that's when they were like, okay, well, we're already making a deal to let Spider-Man be part of the MCU. Let's just so walk. thank you, North Korea. <laughs> well, I would have liked to see a third because this this Spider-Man was a different take. The, you know, I'm not spoiling anything. Uh, the different take is that Spider-Man's parents were scientists who created this virus. And so it left it up in the air at the end of Spider-Man, the second Spider-Man with Andrew Garfield, whether he was kind of a guinea pig that his parents had. Um, injected this serum into in order to be able to sneak it out of the country Um, because they knew that people were closing, like some clandestine organization, some either foreign entity was trying to get their research and they knew they were going to like check their bags or whatever and it it was possible. They left it up in the air that that was one of the possibilities and that the fact that they were murdered as part of um, corporate espionage Versus a regular, like, I think in the cartoon or something like that. I don't, I don't ever remember how his parents died. Yeah. He just was, one day here he was with... He's with Uncle Ben and Aunt, uh, you know, Baru. Wait. <laughs> May. <laughs> Thank you. Uh, but it's uh, interesting that that's why, you know, it didn't see the light of day. Would I have known all this if the little one wasn't watching him incessantly? No, but because I know it, I feel the need to tell you and now... Tell everybody. You know, or at least the three people, you know. That's everybody. I, I can call Biff. Um, are you watching anything before I go down the rest of my list? Uh, well, I, last night, the wife and I started, for some reason, flipping through Amazon Prime. Uh, a, I did watch um, the new Jim Gaffigan special, Qu- Quality Time. It was good. It was Jim Gaffigan, you know. Uh, I, I, I'm not a Jim Gaffigan, like, f- follower 
so to speak. Like, I've not seen a lot of his specials. Like, I haven't seen Hot Pockets. Like, I don't, you know, I'm out of it. Um, so this, but this was funny. You know, spent a lot of time on horse jokes. So I won't spoil it anymore. But um, look forward to that on Amazon Prime. That just dropped two days ago. And, uh, or, sorry, Thursday. Well, I guess it dropped early. Yeah, according to Jim Gaffigan on his Twitter, he said that Amazon dropped it early. Oops. Whatever. So, and then... And then afterwards, it was like, okay, what's next? And I know you had already done this with your boys, but I did this just sort of like, oh, you know, it's either between Taxi and this, and it was Greatest American Hero. So what the hell? Watched the first three episodes of that. You know, the first movie pilot was 90 minutes. And uh, uh, when I do the IMDb when I'm watching these shows, I like running into these little factoids. So his name was Ralph Hinckley in the pilot. Came out in 1981. Some other Hinckley <laughs> made a name for himself in 1981 that made the producers of the show change his name to Hanley. Uh, so for the rest of the series, they tried to they they had to like drown out like references to his last name being Hinckley in post production after the shooting, and then they would just refer to him as Mr. H a lot. But yeah, Ralph Hinckley became Ralph Hanley, played by William Catt, of course. And um, yeah, it was interesting to see that. Um, and then you know, there's all we can get into it later in TV. I don't want to hold up, you know, our podcast uh, with my television viewing habits when we have so many unfunny things to get to and and awful things to get to. Right? No, no, the way doesn't. We got a few more. Th- we oh, got a few more good. decent things. All right. So yeah, well. Well, we won't break format too much. Too much. What's what's next on the rundown? So, you're not a big comic guy, but you've heard of the names like you know Jim Lee probably and Todd McFarlane, uh, definitely Todd McFarlane. Yep. And I I knew a little bit about Image Comics, but there was a really great documentary called The Image Revolution of how pretty much seven rock stars in the comic world who were all at Marvel all left the same day to create Image Comics. Mm-hmm. And it was in 1991, uh, between these seven people, uh, they had 11 of the 12, like each month, like the biggest selling you know comic of that month, they, they had 11 of 12 of them that year. Mm-hmm. They were truly the biggest of the big. And they walked into the office, you know, of Marvel, the head people, and said, we're leaving. This isn't a negotiation. We're just telling you we are out. And then the entire group walked essentially across the street, like a couple blocks away, and went to the head of D.C. and said, and now, granted, this is, this is I, don't even, I don't even think the internet is a thing. It's not like a main thing anyways, uh, if a thing at all in 91. But they walked over to D.C., right into the head office and said, look, word's going to get out. We all just left Marvel. We're not coming here. We're letting you know, don't even bother. We want to put the word out that we are creating this, this. And they did. And a lot of people in the industry said, oh, their last six books, or last six months, there was different polls. And, you know, the first issue of their first magazine went out was the number one selling comic of all time. And they ended up having some trouble. And it's funny, at one point, Six of the seven guys have gone back to work for either Marvel or DC, sometimes full time. Uh, Jim Lee is like, you know, co-head, you know, 
president and editor of DC and stuff like that. Um, they've done different imprints and different crossovers and stuff with him. Tom McFarlane is the only one who's never gone back uh, on any level at all. Uh, but it was really, it was it was one of these documentaries where it, it starts off making you sad when it points out the two kids who created Superman got $130 in 1938 for creating Superman. And their next paycheck for Superman didn't come in until 1979 when they sued over the success of the Superman movie and were given a whopping $20,000 um, a year pension for the rest of their lives, which was only a few years. I mean, at that point, they were, you know, late 60s. Um, so it was, and then like the same thing, Jack Kirby, who there is no Marvel without Jack Kirby. He co-created when you see all the Avengers things and Stanley do all these cameos the last 30 years, you see like co-creator, if you read the credits with the Hulk, with Spider-Man, with Fantastic Four. Mm -hmm. But again, he was just a cog in the wheel. He didn't own any of his creations he worked up until the day he died not out of love of doing it for survival yeah well you know and todd mcfarlane made i think a lot of his money on the on his uh, the action figures for spawn right i think that's where because he insisted on quality and i believe that sort of set his comics apart from the rest so uh yeah i could see why todd mcfarlane would not need to return to the big two, DC and Marvel. And I love that how DC and Marvel are like across the street from each other in New York City. Well, I mean, it, that's how uh, lots of businesses are. You know, it's like all the companies on Wall Street are on Wall Street. And it's interesting, you know, some of the other interesting things that I thought is Todd McFarlane took credit, and he's, and he's right. He killed Superman. He broke Batman's back. Because Image Comics came out of nowhere and truly within their first six months surpassed DC Comic in sales. Although DC Comic had like 45, 50 different monthly magazines and they only had six. Mm. But the sales of those six outsold everything that DC had. And then that's when DC had to, to survive, go all in. That was the famous death of Superman. And that's when Bane had broken Batman's back. Like, within six months after that. Six months after Image had surpassed him. What are the bigger Image properties? Um, Wildstorm. And I'm uh, blanking on the guy's name. Um, oh, I, I see his face. Rob. Uh, but the biggest one, the biggest one to date that surpassed everybody, and this was probably... It'd be worth management's time to sit down and watch the documentary because she knows a lot of these stories. She's a comic-ish person. Um, uh, da, 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 why am I Walking Dead. Oh. And so one of the things with Image Comics, why they were able to retain a lot of their talent for a long period of time, do so well, and attract other artists, rule number one with Image you own your artist. You own your creation. Like we are distribute, we're a distribution and we will help you get your stuff to the world, but we don't own what you create. And that was one of the reasons, you know, when Tom McFarlane had said, look, and I've been in these situations when I've worked for companies, what it would have taken for them 
to keep me happy in some cases. So mundanely, you know, minimal and stupid. Um, but like Tom McFarlane had said, he couldn't go to, I mean, Comic-Con and WonderCon, all those things weren't there yet, but there were festivals and there was comic book shops were, were, were more of a thing. You couldn't go into a comic book shop without seeing T-shirts for sale of Spider-Man covers that he drew. I mean, he didn't own Spider-Man, but he drew these really iconic covers and he didn't get 1% of it. You know, he didn't, and, and it's funny because the other guys kept pointing it out, like the talking head interviews with the other six co-founders. Um, he kept saying things like, I never even got a plaque. They didn't even give me a plaque for like having like that top selling this or watch like the, you know, cause he came from the old, like his dad worked for a company forever and he would get the watch and he would get like the plaque and the employee of the month type thing. And, and Tom McFarlane said, it's ridiculous thinking, oh, my God, had they treated me decently, I would have still been there and I wouldn't have got to do all these things I got to do. Uh, but so he, he but, got consider that a blessing. He would consider that a blessing. Uh, and, and you're right, because he put so much detail into his action figures when the toy companies, when Mattel came knocking and the quality was so great. That's why he is the de facto, you know, modeler for every sport figure. And I mean, it wasn't to this pop. What what are those new oh, Funko Pops? Yeah, I mean th- that has kind of surpassed the McFarlane like line. But the last twenty years, you go into anybody's house who has a hockey figure or a football figure, or uh, uh, whether it's even Batman or you know whatever, it all it's always the McFarlane action figures. Wow. So, what's the name of the documentary again? It is the Image Revolution. It's really, really, really good. And that's on Amazon. It is on Amazon. That's that's pretty much what I've been on. You yeah, know, I, I'm same here. I I kind of yeah. I mean, I, I you know Netflix is always there, but I've started to explore Amazon a little further. Although it's funny when I was on Amazon the other day. I wanted to watch something, and it said included with Prime, and I go, okay, and I click on it, and it says to rent this movie, and I'm like, what happened? Oh, Amazon went down. It's like Amazon did go down, because I immediately, then like, then I went to Twitter, because when I knew something was up, I was like, more than one person's complaining about this. Let me go to Twitter. Right. And sure enough, is, is, you know, is Amazon down? And uh, of course, the, no word from Amazon. <laughs> but I think this, I think I literally... Had just finished a movie, and then I was about to start something else. And in that time, they had just gone down. So it wasn't something where it was like down for three hours or something. I did the same thing at the same time where I was wrapping up Good Omen. Hmm. Did you watch? I've not watched Good Omen. It seems like something your management would really be into. Is she a Neil Gaiman person? She's, I, I think so. And I think she's a te- she's definitely a David Tennant person. Yeah. Um, but uh, yeah, I think that's on the. I think that's on the list. It's funny we kind of went past that on the scroll the other day, but we landed on Greatest American Hero. <laughs> so I don't know. Um, but maybe she, maybe she knew that I wouldn't appreciate Good Omen. Not that it, I w- wouldn't like watching it, but I'm not like I have to watch this, you know, it's, as much as she would. I mean, I've enjoyed it, but I finished episode five, and before episode six started, it's the same thing. I watched episode five, and then it wouldn't play. Mm-hmm. And then I'm like, wait a minute, is this one of those, even though it's streamed, it's not released all at once, but then 
wait, it came out a couple months ago. It must have been, you know, I turned everything off and turned it on because that that <laughs> fixes every problem, right? Right. I, I thought about the same thing. I was like, do I have to update my TV somehow? <laughs> yeah, refresh. No. Yeah, no, that wasn't the case. So, But it's all better now. So I watched Good Omen. I won't get too much into it. I will just say uh, I'm watching Good Omen, and, y- and you know, maybe this will make you want to watch it more. It's and I maybe Dan Cray speaks in Neil Gaimish terms because Neil Gaiman is one of his favorite authors, or maybe Dan was drawn to it because of the way that he speaks and phrases things. But the uh, devil or the demon character Crowley or Crowley, he changes his name a couple times, Mr. Crowley. <laughs> um, speaks very much like Dan does like uh, when when bad things happen and how he he phrases things or or anyways but it, but it was interesting cuz so the whole time I'm like basically watching Dan talk in it and I do I, I like I like Neil Gaiman it's one of those things where I like something and then somebody say oh yeah that's Neil Gaiman and I didn't know how prolific he is yeah. uh, and he wa- he was he wrote this you know, he was in the room. Maybe he would. He didn't just turn it. Oh, now I feel like an ass. I, I do want to go back to the image thing. Yeah. So, one of the reasons they attract. I started to say this. Sorry, I'll get back to the good omen. But one of the reasons it attracted a lot of talent and young talent was the idea that they can retain their property. That they don't have to, you know, turn things over to the company store. As we know, like we've talked about before, like Saturday Night Live. If you pitch something. It basically becomes Lauren Michaels. So they attracted. So the guy who came up with Walking Dead really wanted his books to go through Image. And he was a nobody. So it wasn't like there was this bidding war to get him. But he really liked. He was of the generation. He's 10 years younger than most of these guys. So he, when he hit like the early teens and really got into comics, was 91, 92 when Image started. And he really liked. They were, they were grittier. You know? And again, that's why if you see the Batman comics from like the late 80s you know, or, or the mid 80s you know, on, you know, there was a big turning point. And, and that's because a lot of these guys who left to do image had taken over those properties and made them darker and stuff like that. So it image really spoke to this guy, like some bands, I want to be on SST or I want to be on like, you know, certain, uh, a sub pop was the big record label that people wanted to be on. in like the early nineties, the bands that I liked. Right. So he really wanted to, and he, you know, got a meeting with, you know, the head guy, and, and they told him, it's like, no, there's no, you can't make a successful zombie comic book. There hasn't been one. There's been successful zombie movies, but not a, a sustained thing. You can't sustain this, you know? Um, and then he got another meeting, and the guy's like, look, it's interesting, but, you know, there's there's no hook. You can't, and the creator of The Walking Dead told the president of Image, goes, oh, well, the hook is, you find out that this is an alien invasion, but that basically the aliens created the zombie, you know, so they could wipe out as many people so that they could come down and, and not have to lose their people in order of like, you know, taking over and inhabiting the planet. It's kind of like the first wave of the thing. And the guy's like, oh, great. So 
They published the first book and only like sell seven thousand. They published the second book that dropped to like five thousand, which is a pretty good drop off. And I don't remember if the third was a little lower or around the same, but he had thought if I get six, that will be the greatest thing that ever happened to me in my life. His dream was to get on Image Comics and to get like at least a six episode run. It, it was everything he could have ever wished and hoped for. And so when the head editor, you know, president had called them, you know, uh, after the third one, like number four, five and six were already set to be released. They were already in the can. And, and he said, um, yeah, this is better than I thought. It's more interesting, but I'm not seeing any Easter eggs, any hidden little thing about space. You know, this being an alien invasion. And the guy said, oh, I just told you that because you said I need a hook. It has nothing to do. And the book, the fourth book, for some reason, and now it took four months for it to spread. Again, there's no, you know, the internet isn't what it was, it, you know, what it is now. But it took off. And it was one of their, by the time the sixth book came out, it was their best-selling you know, Image Comics best-selling book. Great story at the time. It is, but I love that. It's like, oh, it's space aliens. Um, so back to Good Omen. So I wanted to say, I could not recommend it more. And uh, they have left it up to Neil Gaiman if he wants to do a second season. Like all the actresses said, yeah, this was great with John Hams in it. And I don't. I mean, I didn't watch. I didn't watch what was a big show that he really. Well, Mad Men. Mad Men. Did you watch Mad Men? No. Uh, that lasted like eight years, seven yeah, years, a I long know, I time. Just, I don't know. I'll get into it maybe in my 60s. I, I mean, I, I, you think I would like that era. You know, I mean, I like old movies and stuff. Slapping women's asses and putting a, you know, yes. make a, they make a sandwich and right. a darn good one at that. <laughs> uh, so, but I've not seen him in things I don't like. Like, everything I've seen him in, I've loved him in. Did you see the Wet Hot American Summer Netflix series? Yes. I didn't see the whole thing, but I I, I did like that very and much. And, of course, Ham and Bubbly on SNL. That, <laughs> I'm trying to think of anything will make me happier the rest of my life. Um, I, I, I do like Michael Bublé. It's Bubbly now. <laughs> um, the whole song that he makes. But... I, I don't know how many times I used the line from that skit. You are on the thinnest device. <laughs> so okay, so Good Omen is uh, good. I now I'm watching Good Omen, mm. and while I'm I, I'm maybe an episode or two episodes away from watching, you know, from finishing it, uh, the a holes from the old band Beyond It now Dan Crane Beyond It. We have a text thing between our friend Rod, John, and Dan, and one of those ass clowns says. You have to watch The Family on Netflix. Are you familiar with this? Our good friend Jim uh, mentioned that to me, and so I'm quasi-familiar with the premise. Um, so I watched the first episode, and I had texted the ass clowns back, and I reminded them, you realize I'm holding on by the thinnest of threads. I am on the thinnest device. I'm ready to snap at any given moment. And w the parallels between the good omen and the family is scary. And I'm not giving anything away with the good omen. It is the, the story takes place in the six episodes just weeks before Armageddon. And both sides, heaven and hell, are really pushing towards Armageddon. They are both counting the moments. They are both 
very much looking forward to finally the battle to end all battles. You know, be damned us, you know, humans that happen to be in the way. The family is very much the same. The difference is the family is based on real people, real facts. So all these Illuminati and these secret clandestine organizations where it's like, whether it's 12 Jewish people who own all the banks in the world or it's the Illuminati or it's the, this is one of these quantifiable, not conspiracy theory. Here is all the evidence. It's very much like, it's it's a docudrama, but you know, Lena, who's the woman who's Remy, who Lena Remy is at it, who's taking oh, down Scientology? Oh, oh, Leia Remini, whose uh, show got canceled, by the way. Did it get canceled? Did it have a? Is it? Did it run its course? I think Scientology canceled it. Is that what it was? They, yeah, they, they got a hold. I blame the Church of Scientology. But hey, I, hey, by the way, uh, Church of Scientology. If you're looking for another show to cancel, <laughs> they'd have to sponsor us. Oh yeah. Oh, no. I wish. I wish they would be a defunct sponsor. That, yes. That's the best thing you will ever say. Okay. So, Leia Remini had her Scientology thing. This is sort of in the same... Bro- but but it's with the Christian fundamentalist. Hmm. And it's called The Family. And it's an organization that has... You know the National Prayer Breakfast they have? Yes. That's these guys. And it doesn't matter, you know... Who's in the White House and, and, you know, whether they grew up, you know, Baptist or Protestant or whatever, they, they kowtie to this big, you know, prayer breakfast every year. This organization, and it's so scary how long they've been around, how influential they are, how people from other countries when they come here feel the need to go and, and meet with this organization in private. But they're just a humble organization with a couple of bucks to their name you know they really rely on you know voluntary donations right to make ends meet they they or do they have enormously deep pockets enormously deep pockets <sighs> they are the deep pockets they don't they don't control you know the deep pockets they are and they are the danger they really are and the, and again like the scientology show this is put together by people who got out mm. you know of of that and again it's all quantifiable like you know it's all here's all the pictures of you know be it reagan be it clinton be it george w be it nixon you know be it johnson just kind of getting them more it's like one of those things where you wonder it i haven't got there yet and i don't know if i can watch the rest of the series you know um there was that eight six or eight part series on american history by um Oh, the big director, like a few years ago. Ken Burns? No. no, it was like a Ken Burns thing, but it was it was dark. And it was like, this is what really happened. Here's the documents. Here's the people who... Anyways, hmm. uh, it, it, will come, it will come to me. Hmm. Um, but it is. It's scary. It is scary to see how much of a Sharia law, you know, a Christian, you know, born-again fundamentalist type Sharia law kind of. that we're really living under. Okay, good. So, so, all right. But but the fact that these people are counting down the moments till Jesus gets here. And, and they're not Bible freaks. They're not Bible freaks. They're Jesus freaks. Like, they have their own Bible that is just Jesus. 
they they condense it. No, no matter who said what, it doesn't matter. And they really believe that yeah, Jesus plays favorites, and that he really doesn't like certain people. And well, that, it's pretty obvious from you know when you watch the end of a football game how many people are right. favorites of Jesus. You can really see that. Uh, but yeah, but but the scary thing was had I watched it at another time. But I'm watching Good Woman march towards Armageddon in a very funny, cerebral British comedy Neil Gaiman way. Then watch this docu series about the march towards Armageddon with facts and yeah. But that's like stuff that happened in the past. That's not going on now. Today, my friend. Today, very scary. Very, very scary. And you wonder. It's like how much is is. Like the NRA, you know, and again, every time there's a huge shooting, this is now the second time a a week ago in in the Cadet Bones Birds administration where there's been a shooting and he has said, yeah, maybe I'm for background checks and this and that. And within a day of the mass shooting and him saying, yeah, we should do something, he has Wayne LaPierre knocking on his door and then backpedals from it. I think that's the only exercise he gets is backpedaling. (laughs) So, I finished Stranger Things. Um, we talked about that. Oh, the, uh, that was the other thing. The, the last two things I'll talk about before Awful. Because, like I said, I've watched so much TV because we haven't left. And I haven't wanted to leave the house. Why would you want to? Like, you've seen the family. You, you know, know what's out there. I, I really do. Watched a movie, and again, on Amazon, called The Stranger from 1946 with Orson Welles. And like yourself, I don't have the ability to sit and watch a movie without my phone and IMDBing it, going to Wikipedia. Uh, but management, again, was kind of watching this with me. It is really great because you've grown up in an era like watching Airplane or other movies that parody the stylistic noir shots of, you know, use of shadows and how women are like lit to make them look like they're glowing and. You've, you've seen, but it's interesting to actually see that's how the common practice, like it was done un- unironically. And it, it, but at the same time, I mean, this is black and white. There's no special effects, you know, there is no CGI and the planning. And it's really funny. Like, I, I mean, this when I say this, there was one shot, like, you know, Orson Welles is a, um, a Nazi leader hiding in plain sight in Connecticut a few years after the war. Mm. He's a college professor, and he marries a Supreme Court justice daughter. You know, so he's like well, well ingrained. She sits up in bed, and she's talking. And I mean this when I say this. Her shadow was beautiful. <laughs> like literally, this this woman was just like classically nineteen forty six like movie beauty. But even her silhouette was, <laughs> and it's like you know and. I wasn't a film geek when I went to film school. Like that stuff, it's like, because I just wanted to make the jerk. And airplane and stuff like that. But uh, but watching these, you know, it's restored, you know, so it just looks fantastic. Um, well, I'll check it out. Maybe. And the only other old thing I watched this week is my friend Joe, sitting across from me. I'm old. Sent me, uh, and I'll let you talk about this. Oh, man. You, you threw me down the rabbit hole of David Letterman appearances. On The Tonight Show with Johnny Carson. Well, we've talked about this gentleman before. He has a YouTube channel. His name's Don Giller. And he's a, basically a one-man archivist for Late Night with David Letterman. And really anything Letterman-related. And for years, he's been 
posting clips of Letterman shows, but curated clips. You know, like all of the appearances by Jim Carrey, for example. Or just like a great performance by, you know... Um, you know, some like like Blondie or something. You know, like or Yo-Yo Ma. Yo-Yo Ma, of course. How can we forget? So, last week he started a new series called David and Johnny, and it starts with the uh, first appearances of David Letterman on the Tonight Show with Johnny Carson, and it starts in like what is it, seventy-eight to seventy-nine is the first video, and then the second video was 80 to 82. So it was when the second part is the time frame in which he, um, well, Letterman gets his morning show on NBC. The 90-minute morning show lasted like, I don't know, eight weeks or something, really, really short. But it was nominated for five Emmys. Uh, but it had been canceled quickly. It was replaced by Wink Martindale-hosted Las Vegas Gambit. A uh, little, little game show trivia for you. And uh, so you, you hear them talk about that. You see Letterman you know, doing his stand-up. You see Letterman um, doing prop comedy kind of things where he's sitting at the desk with Johnny, but he pulls out a basket from behind Johnny's desk and starts pointing out things. And he's basically, Letterman is doing one of his type of desk pieces right. on Johnny's show. And then later on, uh, Letterman would have been chosen as a guest host for Johnny uh, to be part of the rotation. And then, you know, eventually in 82, he goes on to start his late night show. And that's where we kind of left it for now. There's only two parts, but there's I'm sure there's more coming. I'm sure there's more either... Letterman going back on Carson after he's gotten the tonight sh- after he's gotten the late night gig, and maybe some. I think L- L- Carson only appeared on Letterman once after his retirement, maybe twice. I forget. Maybe maybe it's a handful of times. I forget. But a uh, little known fact and spoilers: if you're watching this series uh, later on, the um, the little known fact is that after Johnny retired from his show, he would frequently like write monologue jokes for Letterman and fax it to him. And so a lot of that stuff, like in the early CBS days of Letterman's monologue, a lot of those jokes were Johnny's. Uh, maybe not a lot. Maybe some. Maybe the, maybe the I don't know. I say that only because part of this curation package of of Tonight Show clips includes a lot of monologue by Johnny, and I did not realize how often Johnny Carson bombed. Just bombed. Bombed. And how slow-paced it was. Yeah, I mean, because they only had maybe, what, for an hour-long show, they probably only had 10 minutes worth of commercials, so there was probably 50 solid minutes that they had to fill with bullshit. And it it, it was. It wasn't... When Joe says bomb, it's not like a joke bombed. The whole monologue, like he, so, there was some of these, and it was, it, if they if they got pulled down by Carson's family, it wouldn't be for copyright infringement. It would be to save 
people's memory of Carson being this hilarious guy. And he is. I'm not saying he's not, but it was funny how often his monologues, you know, got groaning laughs versus right guffaws. So, and a lot of yeah, a lot of the jokes just didn't they were some of them were too wordy or some of them were just kind of like writers type jokes. Too smart. Yeah, a little too too hip for the I, I can't imagine it being too hip for them. But this is like peak Johnny. This is like 78, 79, 80. So there's that, and then, but Letterman, um, you know, it's 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 fun to see the, the 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 progression of of one of your heroes, David Letterman, uh, and in let, his and early let, years. So Joe sends me this, and I'm watching it, and Letterman doesn't come out and kill. It's not like, oh, okay, I see why Johnny wanted this guy back because he's Richard Pryor, and he in the and. Or, or you see the clips when like Don Rickles would come on and sit down, and and Carson, there. How many clips have have we talked about or watched together, where Carson is just truly on the floor, like laughing, unable to compose himself when Rickles is on? Yeah, right. But this is sort of like the dawn of a new era in comedy. This Letterman, Letterman was introducing America to his brand of humor, and so was Johnny. Johnny was saying, "This is the next." big thing. And I love this guy. I want to introduce him to the world. And I want to do business with him. Like, I want him to fill that time slot after my show. That's how much Johnny really appreciated and loved David Letterman's style, his comedy, and his presentation. He Letterman was a broadcaster. You know, he started off as a weather guy, and then he did sports, and he did stand-up. He was an actor. He lived in L.A. for years. Again, tying it all back together, he did audition for the role in Airplane, the lead role. And we've talked about his audition tape, which is online, which is great. Uh huh. It's, it's the hospital scene. Yes, right. He thinks he's <laughs> Ethel Merman. So that's interesting. And then watching these old Johnny shows, I keep thinking about Gary Shandling because the, I love the Larry Sanders show. And I knew Larry Sanders was a straight-up parody of The Tonight Show with Carson. But I didn't really fully appreciate how one-to-one the Larry Sanders pacing was with Johnny's pacing. That sort of that sort of sticky setup punchline, sometimes not landing monologue, the high-o with Hey Now, obviously. That was the, the easiest correlation to make. But the, even the curtain, the curtain, you know, kind of matched. But... You know, it reminded me that Gary Shandling was going to be the permanent uh, replay, the permanent guest host, and he turned it down because he wanted to do the Larry, Shand- uh, the It's Gary Shandling show that he's been working on. He was doing like double duty, so I'm going to make this about Gary Shandling instead of David Letterman. Where that? Nah, that's fine. So, anyways, uh, enough about Carson Letterman, Gary Shandling. Let's move on to something less funny. <laughs> um. All right. Well. Again, 8,000 miles on my road trip, and I just wanted to take a week off and was home. Little guys had friends over, so I just watched. I probably won't talk this much TV the rest of the year collectively, um, but there you have it. Uh, so I'll, I'll just, you know, hi, I'll, I'll go down the list. Uh, watching Airplane with the management was great. Catching up on all the Spider-Man. Uh, the Imagine Revolution on Amazon was great. Watch The Good Omen. Um 
you know, unless you want to make a trip to the rickety stool and rope store, maybe forego the family because ignorance is bliss. Um, the Carson stuff, The Stranger, 1946, directed by Orson Welles. Uh, Orson Welles, by the way, because, you know, Citizen Kane bombed, which you may or may not know, bombed. Um, this was his first directing thing in a few years, and he had to sign a contract saying uh, he would be liable, however long it took him to pay off if they went over budget or or went past their schedule. Hmm. And they had a hatchet guy come in and like took out like the first 16 pages of the script. Like truly just took out the first 16 pages of the script, was on the set every day. Uh, basically, he made Orson Welles make a regular movie, make an hour and 20 minute movie with not a lot of exposition and not a lot of, you know, great storytelling. And even Orson Welles had said that, you know, um, yeah, a lot of the stuff that he thought was his best stuff with other movies didn't forward the story. So he, an editor came in. If, if it doesn't forward the story, it's not going in. I don't care how pretty it is and artistic and cerebral. I find it hard to believe that Orson Welles had trouble trimming the fat. <laughs> you see, he actually was a very thin guy. Like, oh, yeah, he was quite svelte in the 40s. Right. Well, it's, again, like when we like, talk like about... Brando in the 50s. Like, like, you know, we're in that generation. We remember O.J. Pre, <laughs> you know, um, <laughs> murderous, you know. Oh, yeah, I like to remember thin Elvis. <laughs> right, right. Uh, so it is. It's, it's interesting that he had a sign, you know, a contract saying... And he got paid like $50,000, but everything that he would get on points and back end for this movie and every movie he did going forward, you know, until he repaid the studio for going over and anything. So anyways, I watched a, okay, now we can't, we can't avoid it much longer. Let's get into the awful. I don't want to sound anti-Semitic at all or more anti-Semitic than I usually sound here, Joe, Uh, but fuck you, Israel. Fuck you very much. And... I've never been a fan of Bibi Netanyahu. Am I saying it right? Uh, yeah, uh, yeah, Netanyahu. Netanyahu. Uh, but this whole thing this week, uh, barring a couple U.S. Congress people from going over, it, it, it's pretty shitty. I don't know how much you've followed that this week, eh. but it is really, really shitty. And Bernie Sanders has come right out and said, and it, it's great that it, it's from Bernie Sanders, who said. Yeah, if if our Congress people aren't welcome over there, then maybe you shouldn't take the billions of dollars in aid that we send every year. He was really upset by it. And, you know, these women, two two of the four women, or two of the women who were going over are part of the quote-unquote squad that Trumpkins have had there uh, making public enemies, number one. So they're set to go. And it's been an ongoing thing. It's not like they were just going. Congress people have been going over. There's some program that is bringing people over to tour different parts and meet with different parts of different organizations, not just necessarily like, you know, meeting government officials, but, you know, kind of a a goodwill extension going back and forth. And I only know this because a a lot of people were saying, hey, I called my congressman and said, hey, you shouldn't go over there. And their office is like, he's been there for the last week. It's part of this, you know, program. But uh, just, you know, days before they're heading over there, it's just so traitorous and un-American and beneath contempt. 
let alone beneath the dignity of the White House, to send out a tweet saying you shouldn't let these people in. I mean, to bad mouth when you say things, you know, bad mouthing your own government officials like this. And the old saying going back as long as we've had a government, like, you know, we keep the shit in house. Like, you know, it's like our politics ended our shores. You don't go over there and talk shit about the stuff, you know, going back over here. You don't go over there. And of course it happens, but not at publicly as this. I guess that's the difference. Like the same thing. I don't think there's more people in the Klan now than there were before this administration, except those people don't hide it anymore. So maybe this has always gone on. Maybe phone calls have gone before, but he sends out a tweet and then these people are uninvited, told they cannot come over, which if you're saying, oh, they're anti-Semitic, which is, isn't true, you can say, I don't agree with things our president does doesn't make us un-American. Same thing of saying, hey, I don't. I think the Palestinians should have a voice at the table. You know, it's their land too. Doesn't necessarily make you an anti-Semite, which we've been talking about since this administration came in. This administration likes Nazis. I'm, I'm not kidding around. Find people on both sides. The people who are chanting, Jews will not replace us, is the party that is also more supportive to Israel? If you could explain that. Well, there's a conservatism in Israel, and there's money that exchanges hands between Israel and, and America. And the right in America loves the right in Israel. They like that They like that Jew connection, you know? Like, they like that presence in the Middle East. They like, they like what they're doing over there, because that's... I think there's just... That's their common bond. Is it they like those Jews... Over there, just not our Jews here? Right. And I'm not being funny. Is that what it is? Because, I mean, Jews will not replace us with the chant at Charlottesville. The very fine people. Now, how does the same administration who says they're very fine people turn around and say... We love Israel, and the Democrats hate it. Because they have it both ways. Okay. I mean, it's pretty simple. They're just having it both ways. It's okay. They're just blatant about it. They're uh, They're not too... Um, uh, I can't even think of the word. I give up. I want to stop talking. I'm giving. I, I'm trying. I'm trying my hardest, Jacques, to actually speak during the podcast so that you can have a snack and you can have a drink, versus me hogging it all. I know you bring these snacks and drinks over to my house as sort of a, uh, a nice gesture, and so that you can fatten up your little tummy at the same time. Well, I figure you're here, and I'm here. Doesn't that make it our time, Mr. Hand? <laughs> and nothing wrong with a little pizza on our time. <laughs> <laughs> What's that from? That's Spicoli. Oh, I never seen Pastime. Okay. We're going to have to take a break. He, he delivers. The, I remember Spicoli gets the pizza delivered to the class, and that's a big thing. Yeah. yeah. Now I remember the, the scene. It's and I, I, I like the, uh, the, the Phoebe Cates scene, too, the one where he fantasizes about uh, How Phoebe great Cates. is it that they did the Phoebe Cates thing? But in reverse, in Stranger Things, where when Billy's walking to the lifeguard stand, it's yeah. playing the music. The car song, yeah. Uh, it, it's great. It is great. Anyway, so... So, we, so we, I hate Jews. I mean, I what? hate... Uh, I, but You hate Joes. That's what I do. I do. That's what he meant to say, But folks. seriously, it's just so ridiculous. But I do. I love that all the people who are outraged that Bernie Sanders, you know, was the most adamant saying... 
fine. Our Congress people aren't welcome over there. Don't take our money. You know, pretty gross. Congress controls the purse strings. So, and and the other thing about you know Donnie Two Scoops saying shit about it, it's like these people were elected. You know, they represent. And again, you it's one thing to not have the best interest of the people who didn't vote for you. And I understand you want to be the president of the people who support you. It's another thing to completely villainize people who didn't vote for you and go out of your way to put a target on them around the world. Look, Bill Belichick did a lot of unorthodox things as a coach that was never introduced to the NFL prior to him uh, doing it. So I think, yeah, I think uh, for better or for worse, worse, (laughs) Donald Trump is a trendsetter. This is going to be kind of the playbook that will be followed for some time. Take it or leave it. Uh, Hopefully, you know, people, the masses, will vote out this kind of ilk, this kind of activity in the U.S. government, but more than likely, not. This is sort of the way it's going to be, and it's um, it's a scary time, and I can't um, I can't even have uh, a jolly talk about it because it it it, it frightens. Well, me. Dur- during the GOP primary three years ago, I remember saying to my Fox watching parents, if my oldest nephew, who at the time was twelve, going into the seventh grade and and interested in politics, if he talked at the school debate, the way that this guy is talking, would you be okay with that? Would you be proud of him running for school president with absolutely schoolyard bullying, nicknames, name-calling bullshit? And, of course, you know, you can't get a response back because, of course, no grandmother says yes. I would be very proud of him going up there saying these things. And that's it, just the lack of decorum and civility. And and then you're going to say, how many of these... People are going to run for office, you know, like, like uh, Moscow Mitch talking about working with the other side of the aisle. You brag openly about killing everything. He's re- been referring to himself as the Grim Reaper, and he kills everything that the Democrats bring forward because it works. Nobody's talking. The Congress has passed over 40 laws. This new Congress, just since the first of the year, they've gotten shit done. They've passed bills. But they can't get him past the Senate. They passed a background check thing, you know. But when but the Republicans can say, or, or you know, the Fox News can say, well, Congress isn't getting anything done. No, Congress is. But it goes to die there, anyways. So I'm going off. Moving on to next topic, you know, if you're going to sell a house, um, I don't know if you caught this in the news, but if you're going to sell a house and you have an open house. And you're going to have all kinds of people come and look at your house. And you're, let's say, an officer of the law. You probably should not have framed in your house your acceptance letter into the KKK. Framed and hanging in the hallway. In which a black family can then take a picture of it when they came not knowing that you're a racist piece of shit. But interested in buying your house nonetheless. Nice neighborhood, good school system, and they take a picture, and you know that officer is now on leave. Um, I like he, how it's on leave. He, well, I mean, like, with pay. Know, they, they need a thorough investigation. I know they do. Now, will it reopen the investigation of the black suspect that he had shot and was 
found not guilty of any wrongdoing three years earlier. Does this just knowing that he's part of the KKK reopen that investigation? But honestly, if you're going to sell your house and you're in the KKK uh, and you're not in, let's say, a whites only neighborhood in 1963, maybe you should take that shit off your wall. Maybe you should not be a police officer. Well, hey, you know. Baby steps. You know, yeah, exactly. How about don't be in the KKK. If you're going to be in the KKK, don't advertise it. (laughs) And really, probably don't be a police officer. But, you know, see, that kind of goes with the white power thing. Right, right. Yeah. All right. Well, you know. How can you keep the minorities down if you're not in power? You kind of have to think that through. Yeah. All right. Well, well, there's not a white supremacy problem in this country. No. Anyway. It's a big hoax. No. There was not. Fucker Carlson said it was a hoax. Right. I believe fucker. Yep. Well, of course, that's coming from two white guys <laughs> saying that there's no white power problem. What's your so, point? Thank you. They're in power, of course. They're going to be. All right. And it all gets back to I will never forget that meme uh, last year. The heavyset guy, more heavyset than me, like dressing, you know, with like green boxing gloves or something it's like this guy believes he's physically superior or, or genetically superior to and it's a picture of like lebron james like working out who's just shredded right and then it's like you know shrek come to life <laughs> yeah that was right baby huey personified <laughs> but uh but so that's it uh you know we, we talked about it before so we'll touch on it now um uh jeffrey epstein will not be making his court date why? Uh, he's got a note. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, Jeffrey Epstein, world-renowned billionaire playboy, <laughs> is dead. Um, by all legitimate means, by the way, he legitimately committed suicide in his jail cell, as one would when faced with such charges. And um, when uh, when you have... Nobody watching over you, apparently, and you have a, a bed sheet strong enough to hold your weight, and you have a, a bunk. And you were taken off a suicide watch two weeks before when you lost your cellmate, and the cellmate that was supposed to be replaced wasn't replaced, and that the guards, guards, plural, on duty, both happened to be overworked and napping at the same time. I believe they were spooning, but they left that out of the report as well. And they also lied on their logs to cover up the fact, apparently, that they were allegedly asleep at the time of Epstein's alleged suicide. Actually, no, I have to say confirmed suicide because the autopsy came out and the coroner's report came out officially death by suicide. And uh, just like with the Mueller report, you know, uh, Barr said before the coroner report came out that this is exactly what it's going to say. And, and, the, and the coroner had said that it was definitely suicide, that there was no collusion, no collusion. And then the interesting thing His is— His neck was broken before he hung himself. He said, Benghazi, 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 which I'm not sure how that fit in. Oh, it fit in because allegedly— you see, these conspiracy theories that find themselves in the dark corners, the, uh, what is it called, the dark web? Yeah. You know, you know the, yeah, the, the pizza kitchen basement, or the pizza restaurant, the child I mean, molestation ring, whatever. Well, this is a real child pedophile ring. Right. This is a real child pedophile ring versus the fake Hillary Clinton child pedophile ring. Do you think now 
Did you think about it? like they 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 doth protest too much these people? They they put these child pedophile rings on the back of Hillary Clinton. L- literally, and it, really, we talk about it over and over. It is from the Goebbels playbook. You blame your opposition for exactly what you are doing, and it's the same thing. It's like when you call something the Patriot Act. Which is the most unpatriotic, you know, the stripping clean, of silver liberties you will ever have. The clean air bill. Right. Uh, you know, we're keeping our air free. The People's Democratic Republic of Congo. Yeah. <laughs> go, you just go down the list. And so everything that they've accused Hillary of doing uh, to Benghazi, you know, that was clearly not her thing. The, to the email things. And yet it turns out that Ivanka and many other people using the same thing. The private servers and all that stuff. But, you know, focusing on this, it is true. It's like, but but when a conspiracy is spread from, you know, Cadet Bone Spurs on, because he, within the first day, he's spreading the conspiracy that the Clintons had him killed. Yeah, he, re- he retweeted somebody who posed that theory on his uh, Twitter. And so, yeah, that's that's a bad thing to do. But, of course... I don't believe that the Clintons killed them. I don't believe that Trump killed them. I do believe that somebody killed them. Right. And the world may never know. Kind of like how many licks it takes to get to the center of a Three! City. Oh, that's right. <laughs> Shit. How many what? bones were broken in Epstein's neck? Three. <laughs> Three. So that's, you know. So, yeah. So, okay. He, and then somebody, somebody else put on Twitter... How fucked up is this world that we can't even take joy in a pedophile killing himself? Correct. Um, so much like the Saudi Arabians killing the journalist Khashoggi is hurting my ability. Allegedly. Is hurting my ability to get people to go over for the event I'm working. Um, how much is, is the Jeffrey uh, Epstein conspiracy theory hurting our administration's ability to buy Greenland? What does one have to do with the other? Uh, we're just trying to. Buy oh, you're trying to segue <laughs> into the Greenland, the Greenland purchase. I think he's going to try to buy Greenland and then not pay them because of false advertising. <laughs> right. This is not a Greenland. It's not as green as I thought it was going to be. There's a lot of ice. It is funny that Iceland has more green than Greenland has. Yeah. But yeah, I mean, dude, is that and and again. For the last three years, there is zero way of telling if a story is from the Washington Post or the Onion. <laughs> right. And by the way, if you're going to buy a country that's mostly ice, um, don't do it during the most um, hot time. In, <laughs> in, in, in Like, talk about diminishing returns in your investment. I mean, Greenland's not going to be as massive. I mean, uh, maybe I'm... A little stupid. Uh, yes, I, I grant that. Yes, I am very stupid. But uh, Greenland, it's a ma- it's a bo- it's land, but a lot of it is covered in ice, or or is it like literally masses of ice? And I'm asking you, a world-renowned ge- uh, um, uh, geography geography yeah geography expert. Have you ever seen me and Carmen San Diego in the same room at the same time? I still don't know where she is. <laughs> so no, it's just ridiculous. As ridiculous. So the last thing of awful that I wanted to mention 
you heard about the dumb shit, fucked up early 20s guy who walks into Walmart the other This isn't a joke. Walks into Walmart in his body armor carrying his AK-47 just as a social experiment to see what would happen. Uh-huh. I, I mean, I, <laughs> the whole good guy with a gun theory is really being tested there. Uh, the fact that he wasn't shot and... It, this but he is, was white. Right. So he wasn't shot. Right. Yeah, but... Most of the shooters, I mean, what happened in Philadelphia the other day, I mean, that wasn't a terrorist thing. When these people, when you go into a church or a Walmart or shoot, I mean, that's a terrorist thing. This was a bad guy who didn't want to be taken in by Joe Law. See, this is a bad experiment because, you know, you have to have the control, which yep. is the white guy. But then you have to have the variables. You know, you got to throw in a black guy in there and throw in a, a Middle Eastern guy and an Asian guy and... See who gets shot. You know, the same exact scenario. Just replace the race of the guy, and then you'll see, okay, maybe now we got an experiment. Now we have a, a, you're not getting oh, it. No, I do, right. but a week after, I mean, that's the most fucked up thing. A week after three mass shootings that this kid decided he was going to test to see what happened. I think a, and it's legal. I think a lot of people are just having mental breaks. Like, this is a generation that's really, like, kind of lost touch with reality in a, in a scary-ass way. Like, just completely disconnected from what real life is about. And that they're... They, like, did that guy... Is that guy so into video games that he thought he had, like, an extra life? <laughs> like, I got three more guys. I, well, okay, I can afford to lose one on this social experiment. Uh, you are awesome. Yeah. You, you are awesome. <laughs> he should have written on his, like, flak jacket, like, you know... Not shooter. <laughs> right. uh, good this guy. Is, this is gun. only a test. If this had been an actual nut job, yeah. With that said, let's. Uh, what are we going to stop with the podcast forever now? I, I'm just going to go have a good cry. And you play a defunct sponsor for the week. Coming up later on the Tonight Show, starring Johnny Carson. It's a battle of wit with Johnny and Bob Newhart. I know you were sitting back there screaming your head off, watching me die. That's right. That's right. 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 There's nobody. Nobody does it better. I'll tell you. <laughs> and actress Catherine O'Hara. And I don't want to get too personal, but... Then don't. <laughs> Plus, Celine Dion. Then, on Late Night with David Letterman, it's Mary Tyler Moore and cartoonist Linda Berry. All we need now is a show. Johnny and Dave, later tonight. Okay, so, sport. Still not doing it, Joe. We are, as the dropping of this podcast, the Pats have played a second preseason game, which haven't watched. I, I mean... I've seen a couple little things on Twitter. I thought it was fun to see, you know, they did a joint practice with the Titans and their coach is Mike Vrabel, one of my all-time favorite Pats. Um, and it was great. There was somebody posted a clip that Brady was, like, walking onto the field and Vrabel was, like, screaming at him for, like, walking instead of, like, you know, running. And Brady was screaming back at him to, you know, take care of his own shit. It was fun, you know. Um but, yeah, I'm not doing it. Uh, the only thing is, you know, Josh Gordon got reinstated. So, uh, but we can talk about that in two weeks when we come back. But I'm still, you know, I, I just before you started the podcast, I even told Joe, I've been so out of the sports loop, so out of it. Haven't listened to anything, watched anything. that I don't even know if anything has transpired with the Robert Kraft stuff. Because we're a couple weeks away from the season, and... He, allegedly, he was supposed to be suspended. There was going to be nothing. You haven't heard anything. No, the news has not mentioned 
hide nor hair of. Uh, I forgot that Robert Kraft was the owner of the New England Patriots, to be <laughs> honest with you. I mean, you I mean you follow sports Twitter. Yeah, well, I see there's a lot of people that I'll see, like I said, clips from like training camp. And, I'll, and I'll, if there's a highlight of a pass or something or, or more of the funny things, you know, yeah. you'll see. And I'll comment or I'll like a couple things. You know, there's a lot of, um, you know, it is the season to talk about the demise and to talk about the cliff. And then people respond with like highlights from like last year that I like. But I'm not. And, and, and even... I'm not. I'm going to stop talking about stop talking about it, and we're not doing a podcast next week. So the week after that, we'll. By the time we do another podcast, I think the third preseason game will have been played, and will be just a week or so away, and maybe, maybe. But I'm still not ready to. It's because it's ridiculous. They haven't even done cutdowns yet. Yeah, why would you care about preseason football? Have you ever cared about preseason not football? Re- a couple. A couple times that there's a draft pick or there's some interesting storylines mm-hmm. or something like that, but not really. I, I will say, I think I said it last week, one of the sports stations in town has a game, um, has a handicapping show like and release the odds of week one preseason game. If you are betting huh. on week one preseason NFL, you got a severe fucking problem. Yep. Yep. And uh, people do. Yeah, lots. Of they wouldn't post that if people didn't. Oh so. yeah, yeah. But okay, done with sport. Now we are moving on to video games. What have you done gaming this week? Not uh, a whole lot, although I did use some Best Buy rewards bucks to put towards a purchase of a new Nintendo Switch game. You know, a little early Christmas, um, a little early birthday present for myself. Is that, is, that, is that the two hundred dollar one that the controllers don't come off the side? No, I mean the Switch game, like an actual game. Oh, an actual game. Yeah, just a game. Just it's it's a Super Mario Maker two. It's a game where you make Super Mario Brothers levels and all different styles of Super Mario Brothers, from the old original Mario Brothers all the way up to the uh, the newer three D type stuff. And uh, people can design their own levels, post their own levels for review by Nintendo. It gets approved gets posted to this online kind of little like leaderboard or whatever you search for them and then you can share your levels with people by the, like a, a nine digit code and it, it's fun like people are very creative this is a, obviously two so it's a sequel to a wii u version that came out four years ago three years ago that was popular but again seven people own the nintendo wii u so uh, we well so you're saying, other than the host of this podcast, <laughs> there were five other Wii U's That's in the world. It. Somehow okay. Nintendo rode that rainbow into the success of the Switch. But now that the Switch is immensely popular, you know they they put a lot of effort and time and energy and money into this uh, improved version of Super Mario Maker, where uh, you know you can do everything you could do in the first and more. And, you know, it's fun. And they actually have, like, a little one-player thing, so it's not just trying out strangers' levels. Some of them are ridiculously hard. Some of them are, like, homages to other video games. Some of them are funny. Like, a lot of them are funny. Um, some of them suck. But uh, it's it's great. It's just basically... Um, it's basically Nintendo mining talent <laughs> for free. Right. Yeah. I, I thought about that. Much like the movie... Um 
oh, what was the 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 aliens put a video game in the store Starfire Starfire oh, the, la- the last Starfighter. Starfighter. <laughs> well, that's how they were recruiting. Yeah, um, and I, th- I I'm I'm wondering if whether or not like the levels that were designed in the story mode were actually designed by outsiders because they all had like little name tags on the names of the course. Like you would select a course. It's kind of I'm getting into the weeds. I won't I won't bog this down anymore. But I'm playing Super Mario Brothers two. I mean Mario Maker two. I just picked it up yesterday, so I've already beaten the <laughs> the the story mode. Kind of yeah, I have a hundred percent of the story mode, which is a couple of hours. It's not too long, and uh, it's uh it's nice and it's it's distracting. And then you know I'll go back to work this week and I'll want to hang myself and uh, the circle of life. My question, do people just come out with trolling levels where as soon as the level starts, you die? Yes. Actually, a very famous level that's going around, and maybe I'll forward you a clip of it. You know those in in the original Super Mario Brothers, like, especially like in the dungeon level, there were these fireball rods that would spin around yeah, yes. like, a, like the hand of a clock. It's that... Uh, picture and now remember the very first level of Super Mario Brothers, the original one where it's like the green grass and everything is a couple of blocks and stuff. It's the, somebody recreated level one one from Super Mario Brothers, but with hundreds of like screen long, virtually screen long fireball wheels that are in an intricate pattern, so that you have to know exactly where to, you have to be pixel perfect in order to get through this thing. Right. So yes. Um, and then, of course, a female comedian I follow posted a picture of like all these like swirling orange fireball rods and said, "This is basically what my DMs look like of dick pics." <laughs> 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 they, um, yeah, this is going back maybe eight years, nine years, ten years. Do you ever play the Force Awaken, the Jedi game, the Force Awaken? I have that for Xbox 360. I didn't really play it too much. There, there's one level where you're on the Death Star at this point, and you come out of a cutscene. If you don't, honestly, the the, the nanosecond the cutscene ends and the game picks up, if you don't jam the controller in a certain direction as hard as it can without snapping the joystick and hit two buttons and and in the right sequence within a billionth of a second of each other, you're dead. Mm-hmm. And I don't know. I've, you've seen other games that do that, but I don't ever remember a game that as soon as it starts, you're dead. And I thought when you were talking about These people trolling controlling levels. levels, that's the first thing that I thought of. The game starts, and honestly, if you move left, you fall off a cliff. If you move right, you get stabbed. But if you jump, you're jumping into like a fire breathing. Yeah, right. It's like all spikes. <laughs> right. Yeah. Oh, you have to fall in the exact pattern so that you have to weave and bob out of the way of all these spikes coming your way. Yeah, it's there are those types of levels, and those are the the more challenging ones, but it's all in good fun. So, I guess that's what I'm doing for video games this week. I um not, and I, I think a lot of my TV watching, which explains the first two hours of this podcast, has to do with. We talked last week about wrapping games up and, and maybe taking a break, and I kind of let the boys know we are going to try to give them a chance to, once school starts, go back to, you know, because the only time they got games is Friday when we would drive here 
They could play in the car. They could play here with your guys after they're done. And on Saturday, unless we had something to do Saturday, then they could play Sunday. But they could play one day a week based on not being assholes all week. And, you know, essentially they would retain their rights to play Friday nights and then one weekend day. And if that doesn't go well, we've already limited a lot of stuff, like taking a lot of the screens away. We will try that, but otherwise it is going cold turkey. And so, and with myself, it's the same thing. So I, a couple mornings this week before people got up, you know, I played Resident Evil 2, just get by one level and then, you know, that's it. And even that, it's like I'm not anywhere close to I was with Resident Evil 7 or disgustingly Resident Evil 2 or 5 or 4 or 6, <laughs> but good enough where... You know, I, I've gone from the first playthrough took about 20 hours, you know, of, of playtime. And the second, um, a little over five hours, you know. And I might play, like, replay one level just to get under the five-hour window. It doesn't unlock anything. And again, nobody shows up on the doorstep with a clearance house, big, gigantic. But I'm not doing all the bonus stuff and all that. Because I'm, I'm pretty much getting ready to stop myself uh you know, management and I talked the other day. It's like she's got three more weeks before she loses me to the Patriots. Mm-hmm. So I'm not going to be playing that. But but so I haven't played much this week. Good. And um, and like I said, like we talked about it a lot last week, they're going to be given a chance to not completely fuck it up. But at the same time, it's it's going to be uh, <laughs> my money's on fucking up. Yeah, it, it almost uh, can't. Not a betting man. But uh, I will bet on that. Well, well, you, you, and I always bet on black. <laughs> but my kids aren't. Oh, oh, okay, okay. Um, no, you're not a betting man, like to the extent of of betting on week one preseason NFL football. Uh-huh. But this is pretty much a give. This is a give. <laughs> this yeah, is a give. Right. Um, but they mean. I mean, they've already lost. Uh, you know, a few things along the way. You know, in, in game. Hemisphere, but that's why I watched so much TV this week because I didn't want to leave. They had their pals over, and uh, and that's that. Now, with all that said, it brings us to the end of the show. Ah, no, the paper says random video game review. Okay, so uh, this this ought to tide you over for the next two weeks because we are taking off next week. I'm going away with my family, so we won't be podcasting. That's my gift to you for next week. But for now, we're going to... Jacques took two games. Oh, you just reminded me we got two weeks of random Oh, that's right. we got to make up. So now I'm going to guess which two games he pulled off of my Nintendo Entertainment System collection. And uh, first one is... Uh, I'm going to say Silent Service. No, it's not Silent Service. Simps, it's not the Simpsons. Um, I'm gonna say, I forget. It's an S game though. World War Two, maybe. Does that help? It's World War Two. Looks World War Two. Uh, I sh- uh, I don't know, dude. It's uh oh okay. Sky Shark by Taito. The cart says nobody ever said it would be easy. This I do remember playing. I um. Uh, no, no, I'm thinking of Sky Kid. I don't think I've played Sky Shark. I, I'm, I'm sure it's kind of like 1942, where it's like an overhead 
uh, shooter where you're commanding, um, you know, this sort of dogfighting plane and you're taking down the Japanese army or Germans, probably Japanese because this looks like Pacific Theater. And for some reason, the Japanese programmers love or at least loved to program games about Americans taking down the Japanese Empire. <laughs> so this is Sky Shark, and I don't know really anything about it. So I'm going to um, recuse myself from this one. Um, but well, it, uh, it did get four stars in, in the Pat Country Guide to the e, uh, NES Library. Okay, so let's let's go to the book. According to Ultimate Nintendo by Pat Contry, Sky Shark, four stars, as Jacques said. And the synopsis starts as follows. This overhead vertical shooter title has players flying over land and sea, firing bullets at airborne enemies, and ground-based targets. You can also fire a limited number of bombs, which destroy everything in the vicinity. A quality shooter, its five levels, are riddled with constant onslaught of enemies, including tanks, planes, gunboats, rail <coughs> railway cars, bunkers, naval guns, and other hostile forces. So that's good to know. Maybe I'll play it someday. Maybe I'll play it someday. So now we move on to the second game that Jacques wants to waste our time with. And I think it's a W game. It's, um, is it Willow? No, no Willow's up there. It's, uh, is it a Wheel of Fortune game? Oh, good. Wheel, uh, Wheel of Fortune starring Vanna, Vanna White. I think we talked about this one already. So, yeah, Wheel of Fortune, Vanna White. Can't go wrong. It's a good puzzle game. It's what, gotta, gotta what, be what do they say about it? I don't know. <laughs> oh. I'm going to look it up. Have you been watching any game shows while you look it up this week? <coughs> I, yeah, I watched uh, Card Sharks finale with uh, Joel, um, uh -oh, Joel McHale. Yep. That was fun. Uh, Pressure Luck last week had its finale, so I, I didn't watch anything new. I don't know. I've been watching um, off and on some old, old stuff. Um, yeah. But Wheel of Fortune, uh, getting back to the Nintendo review, Wheel of Fortune with Vanna White. Got three stars. The last of the Wheel of Fortune games looks entirely different from the previous three games. Like on the television show, players will spin a wheel for monetary values and then guess letters from a word-slash-puzzle phrase or phrase puzzle in order to solve them. So yeah, it's a Wheel of Fortune. Pretty cool. Pretty cool indeed. And if you didn't own it, I will tell you my limited research. It seems like this game is a little pricier than the previous three Wheel of Fortune games he put out. You want to guess what you'd be paying? $6.99. $7.89. All right. I'm, I, and that's with free shipping. So, so all right. Well, I think that's high enough for me to get up on stage and play the pricing game with Bob Barker <laughs> or Drew Carey. So what are – I'm not talking about – I've already talked about everything I've watched. You know, I've already recommended Good Omen and The Image Revolution, both on Amazon Prime. What are you – recommending what am i recommending hmm well like i said jim gaffigan uh, that's a funny special um that's quality time with, with jim gaffigan on amazon prime what else am i watching uh i've been waking up early this 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 past week and you know i like watching like 80s stuff you know me i'm i'm kind of a kind of a an idiot and i don't like new things I like old things, and I like watching old things that I haven't watched before. And um, so when I wake up early, 
I'll stumble upon the logo channel. You know, they run a lot of reruns, and they have this block of programming called uh, like Day Camp or something like that, where it's like these campy '80s slash '70s sitcoms, like Facts of Life. And I've been watching the syndicated version of a show called It's a Living. And I don't think this would, I don't think this hit your radar at all. It started off in 1980 and 81. Jillian, do you remember that name? Remember the name? Yeah, of she was an actress. I think she was like one of Bob Hope's USO kind of people for a time. She was a hot star, very attractive and talented and stuff. And then like in the mid 80s or late 80s, she would now she had breast cancer. And I th- actually, the mid '80s, she announced she had breast cancer. Now, she didn't die; she got a treatment and all that. But she was on this show called "It's a Living." It was about uh, four waitresses at this like top of the uh, be- this top of this like Los Angeles uh, hotel. And there was this piano playing guy named Sonny who was kind of a schmaltzy lounge act. And, uh, you know, they had, like, uh, an older woman who was their boss who they left to piss off and this kind of curmudgeon cook in the background or in the in the kitchen. And um, it was kind of like a funny show. It was produced by the same people who did Soap, the Wit Thomas, you know, kind of productions. But it, had, it wasn't Susan Harris who wrote Soap and Golden Girls, and she had nothing to do with this particular thing. So it went off the air in, like, 82 or 81. And then I think after... And Jillian announced her uh, breast cancer thing. There was some interest in her work, apparently. So they started showing reruns of the old show. And then that sparked a revival of the show with four new women. And one of them was Crystal Bernard, who went on to star in Wings. Did you ever watch Wings? I, I did. She, the, it was like a, what do you call it? like a guilty pleasure type Wings was. Yeah. I mean, that was that, it was written by the same guys who wrote Cheers and Frasier. So it was like... A quality show. It was eight seasons, and with the, one of the women who was like the woman who was uh, working like concession counter or the the the, the what do you call it the uh, like the food counter or whatever on wings right, was right. was one of the waitresses in the show. Anyways, so I kind of fallen into this sort of like just waking up out of sleep, want to see something on, and it's a it, I don't know. It's it's I like sometimes I like shows like that where it's like. You know that these are quality actors, like they've done stuff and they've obviously like they've done some theater and you know they they're talented people and it's it's a light show. Um I don't know, I don't know why I'm why I'm watching. It. I just I kind of and, and and the theme song is very gay. <laughs> I have to say it's a very gay like kind of like a it's almost like a 30s style like put on a show type of theme song sung by like four women. You said it's a logo. Yeah, it's very gay. And and I'm I'm not being a no logo's a gay channel. It is okay. Yeah, logos. I, yeah, the, yeah. That's a it's a gay audience. Every channel. time my cousin writes a show or a play that gets TV, like talking about getting picked up for a series, it's always logo. Right. Yeah. Logo has a gay audience, but they also show like reruns of old stuff like Golden Girls. I'm surprised they don't show soap. Um. But um, anyways, yeah, it's a living. I'm watching that. And uh, I don't know. I think it's like 87. So it's like I was 10 years old at the time. And so I'm watching shows that wouldn't have necessarily appealed to me at that age. But now as an adult, I'm watching 
people who are in the 80s. Yeah, I don't know. It's it, it's kind of a retro kind of throwback thing for me. I know it's a little out of character for me to watch something retro. <laughs> but so I've wasted your time, and I apologize. So, yes, we've talked about Carson, uh, Letterman on Carson in 78. We talked about <laughs> The Stranger with Orson Welles in 46. We've talked about NES games from the early age. If there's something this podcast has, it's their finger Fing- on the pulse. I was going to say, finger on the pulse of what's hip now. Not that anybody would or should listen to us, but what are the chances anybody under 40 would find this at all entertaining? Zero. I, I, th- I think... I think you're giving us way too much. Right. I, th- I think we owe. Oh, it's all this one in a million talk. <laughs> um, yeah. I, no, I'm not going to make a recommendation. Like I said, I, 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 will, I will say twice. The question is, how many times did I watch Endgame this week? Oh. The question. The correct answer is, with all the other shit I watched, I still squeezed in. And when I say Endgame, you realize I mean Infinity War End to end game, <laughs> like like, because I don't count end game as a move standalone movie. Right, it's like Godfather one and two. You got to watch them both. You do. It's a saga, and so you know, yeah, it, it'd be nice if you watch, you know, um, uh, X uh, the um, Ant Man and the Wasp mm-hmm. in between. I thought you were going to say Civil War, or if you no, we did watch Civil War this week because again, the little guy who fell down. The wormhole. Mm. This was this was Spider Man's first appearance was uh-huh. in Civil War, right? Um, so he and knew, he, hadn't, he hadn't seen it for at least a week. Uh, well, because he was watching the Toby, he was wrapping up. Last time we talked, he was wrapping up the Tobey Maguire. You know this, and I will say, this Spider Man thing that he's going through has revigorated his um, his interest. And in what are what are those buildings? Is they're usually pretty interesting buildings. Some are old and really great looking where they they put books and stuff. I think they were called libraries. Okay, okay. Not Anthony's. And uh anyways, you can't find the Toby uh, the uh the Andrew Garfield ones without buying them. You know, mm-hmm. Amazon Prime, Hulu, Netflix, it's it's not out there. And right now part Two and three of Tobey Maguire is on Netflix, you know. So I'm like, oh, let's go to the library and see if they have it. And man, was he amazed. But I did make him also get and first read a Amazing Spider-Man graphic novel because, of course, as you know. Reading is fundamental. And oh. and the Tobey Maguire, there's spectacular Spider-Man. There's spectacular Spider-Man. Oh, there's Ultimate Spider-Man. There's the Ultimate Spider-Man. There's Amazing Spider-Man, and the uh, Andrew Garfield is based on the Amazing Spider-Man. Hence so the title of the Amazing Spider-Man. So he, um, so he, you know, I, I had him go and pick up, uh, you know, one of the, a couple of those books in order. Okay, read this, then we can watch it. Type thing. Okay. So, but he liked going to the library and looking, and you know, of course, went in and in a Spider-Man outfit, which makes. You know, the late 20 librarians who, you know, you know, they go to all those dapper day speakeasy 1930, uh-huh. like like the girl. And, and again, she could be 22, 23, could be 50. I'm really bad with that. But she had like I walked in and she could have been a character out of that 1946 movie, like her whole outfit. And she's flaunting all over him. And I'm like, oh, when when does it go from him being cute wearing this to the looks I get dressing the same way? But so so you should do a social experiment. 
walk into a library dressed as Spider-Man and well, see how soon it ta- how long it takes for you to get shot. When I was down to 175 and we were going to Disney, we would go I would go as Luigi cuz he was always, you know, and it's I can't tell you how many nobody and I'm quite sure a lot of people thought what the fuck is that guy's deal? Yeah. <clears throat> well, here's the funny thing. I would go as Nightwing, like the full-on unitard Nightwing thing, and one of them would be Robin, and one of them would be another Robin, something like that. And it's fun when we're going from point A to point B together, the three of us, or the little guy be Mario, and I got the full-on Luigi. Nice, you know, you know, spend a hundred bucks on it. Yes, unitard. Could've, you could have been on the Super Mario Brothers Super Show. It's fun when I'm walking with them from point A to point B. If they're on a ride and I'm going to get fast passes at the ride they're going, and it's just me dressed as Luigi walking through the park, loses its cuteness. It loses its flair. Context. Context is key. Anyway, so so my only recommendation, again, is all the other things like Good Olman and I talked about, The Stranger from 1946. But you know what? You can't go wrong with Infinity War and... Endgame, but that's it. Jacques, you know that I only do this podcast for two reasons. One, it's because I know that you won't be my friend if I don't do it. And two, is that I am an awful, awful person, which by extension, I'm an awful son, an awful brother, an awful husband, and an awful parent. I know you can't advise me on all of those things (laughs) on how to better myself. But I know there's one that you could better, you can advise me on, and that's how to be a better parent. So, Jacques, please impart upon me your parenting tip for just this week. Not all of them, because you have a lot of, a lot them. of just, them. Just, just the one. Just narrow it down. Yes, please. So we went up to Maine last weekend, uh, a one-day family outing. Very nice. The management the week before with a work family went to this little lake. I probably wouldn't have dragged the boys to this a year ago, but they had so much fun in Austin. It kind of sounded like, you know, we're not becoming outdoorsy. Don't get me wrong, although we might be buying an Airstream. Uh-huh. Uh, it, so, so there was this little lake, and we get there early because it's me, and I'm always afraid of not getting parking and getting in and getting a good spot. And it's this little lake that looks like the backdrop of every horror movie from the 80s. Uh, but maybe 50, uh, 75 yards out, uh, there's platforms that are 30 yards apart. One of them has one of those big slides on it, like a, you know, a pool, like in a neighborhood slide, not like a theme park slide. And one of them, this platform, and they're probably like eight by eight, you know, you could fit like 10 little kids on it or, you know, four of me's and a diving board. And so um, my parenting tip is... As much as the water is cold, as much as it's not our pool, which is nice and controlled, um, you get out there and you do it with them. You know, just be active in the life. I will say this parenting tip comes with a caution because there was maybe 10 other families with kids around the same age, maybe a little younger. And I did not become friends with any of the other dads who <laughs> were then guilted into their, you know, by their kids and their wives. Because I heard him say, it's like, no, no, it's not just for kids. That guy's dad's out there. <laughs> you know, well, I didn't hear that. But management heard how many grumblings that dads heard from other moms and kids. Because, you know, seeing me out there on the platform, like picking the kids up and like throwing them off it and, and, and being active. So, um, so it's good. 
but I didn't make many friends with the other dads. So your parenting tip is to ouch parent other parents? Yeah, yeah. And shame them. And shame them. In and, and In front of your kids, that way you can later say, you know, hey, at least I... You know, so so. So you're a cuck dad. You've you've you. Yeah. Yeah, you're a cuck. Yeah. Dad. I yeah. Mean, well, you're cuck holding other dads. Right. Right. And so, but I get to use that as leverage of my kids saying, you know, when they're like, "I hate you," it's like at least I'm one of those dads who got in the water with him in Maine and let him jump off the diving board, the uh, the slide the wrong way, which freaked out you know everybody else. Yeah. So there, there, there is that. So Joe, we are not doing the podcast next week. Um. I'm going to probably take a picture of you now, get one of those cardboard cutouts, and sit downstairs in my basement, maybe put my video games behind it, and yell at it for two hours next week. So the next time that we are talking, it will be the next podcast after the one that people are listening to now will be September 2nd, which will be just a... That's Labor Day. Which will be a few, just six days before the start of the 2019 NFL season. So we will talk sports then. Okay. Uh, we will do our Patriot preseason predictions. Ah, uh, yes. Uh, that will drop on Thursday the fifth, and then um, depending on uh, how they do week one, will dictate the entire next six months of my life. Yep, <clears throat> As our, our life. <laughs> right, we share a life. All right, because you know. It's only one person can be completely down in the dumps on the show, so I don't want it to be both of us. Mm-hmm. Okay, because I'm miserable. When, um, but that's it. So I, I wish you and the family a fantastic. Well, you, you you know you uh, anything big planned or just checking out and not answering the phone and no, sitting just on visiting a visiting family in the Cape. So it's nice. We'll see. We shall see how it goes. I'm sure it'll be just fine. Just you- taking a long weekend. A long, long weekend. And it only gets longer uh, the more I think about it. But it'll be fine. I'll try not to ruin their time. By them, I mean my my family. So um, that's it. Um, I appreciate you listening. And um, so does Jacques. And um, I think that's all I'm going to say now. So zip it in and zip it out. Zippity-doo-dah. Don't forget. <laughs>